Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. Hey, guys, real quick. Are you guys hearing all of that okay? Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. I just wanted to make sure it was coming through because I keep getting messages from my Skype saying, background noise, background noise. (laughs) I I guess it's just trying to read the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I guess it's just uh, misinterpreting me playing it, switching the microphones around so that it plays through the speaker or plays the speaker feed. Yeah, that's how it's doing it. Anyway, all right. Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network. It's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. And welcome back. It's been a long time, but welcome back to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 51 of the podcast, and we have been covering West Wing, the first two seasons of West Wing, but because you voted uh, during the last period to move on to season one of the newsroom, that is what we're covering during this strip of episodes. We're going to be starting by covering the newsroom episode one of season one we just decided to my name is matt murdick i am from sorkincast.wordpress.com that's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast contact links podcatcher links uh that kind of thing if you could take the time to leave me a review on itunes or on stitcher it would be very much appreciated it helps me stay noticeable among the less than three billion uh newsroom podcasts that are out there but uh also keeps me noticeable in all of the west wing podcasts and anything to do with sorkin and that's what this show does we just flop around and 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 praise sorkin or flop around and and condemn sorkin depending on uh if you're new to the podcast you know that sometimes it goes either way uh don't forget that if you do leave a review uh by December 6th of 2016 or any feedback then we'll include you in a podcast specially geared up then with all of the feedback regarding season one of the newsroom and the newsroom awards, which will include your favorite and least favorite episode, favorite and least favorite scene, favorite and least favorite main character, and favorite and least favorite guest star. And before we talk any further about this particular episode, I've got two special guests with me on this opening one. Uh, Everybody's been asking to have more guests, and I thought, well, if I can't get a guest for every episode, maybe I can double up sometimes here and there. And first of all, we're going to welcome back John, uh, who has been with me for the last few episodes of Season 2 of The West Wing as well. John, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm very excited to talk about Newsroom, and I can't wait to hear what our other guest has to say. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say that, you know, you and I, when we first started talking, uh, well, we were still doing the Game of Thrones podcast a long time ago when Newsroom first started. We thought about maybe doing a Newsroom podcast on its own. Um, so I'm going to be real excited to get your takes on this particular episode. Somebody who always has a take on an episode uh, that uh, any episode of television, it seems like he's seen it. He seems to know an awful lot about TV uh, and he lives in TV land out there on the West coast. Uh, But we welcome back the founder of the double P podcast network, which has shows like the Joffrey of podcast, the uh, 
Got Your Milk, The Strain podcast, and some podcast about Ash versus the Evil Dead that is too long for me to remember. But we welcome back Bubba, who was with me for the very first episode of The West Wing. So two episodes uh, premieres in a, uh, for you in this particular podcast. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have a blog? As that joke lands with a thud like it did in this pilot. Hi, everybody. It's great to be back on the Sorkin cast. I was a big fan of the West Wing pilot. I'd never seen it before. Tonight, we're going to be watching a pilot I had seen before. And spoiler alert, but I'm glad to be here, Matt. Glad to be here with you and John. This is great. Remember, folks, if you don't agree with Bubba's uh, points of view on this, you can always follow him on Twitter at Fit and Trim. That's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M on Twitter. Um, and he'll have lots of information about all of his other podcasts. Great to have you back, Bubba. Uh, guys, uh, before we really get into talking about this episode, um, let's just break down some of the information about it. Uh, it right. was written by Aaron Sorkin. Again, it's just entitled, We Decided, We Just Decided To. Written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Greg Matola. It first aired on June 24, 2012, and was viewed by an estimated 2.14 million viewers in its initial airing. And we'll be taking those on their first Sunday night airing is where we're getting our ratings from. The uh, episode summary is as such. After delivering a public speech on America's shortcomings as a nation during a question-and-answer session at Northwestern University, acclaimed Atlantis Cable News, ACN anchor, Will McAvoy, played by Jeff Daniels, returns to his job to find that most of his staff have left or are leaving, and that his new executive producer is his ex-girlfriend, Mackenzie McHale, who is played by Emily Mortimer. His boss, Charlie Skinner, played by Sam Waterston, explains that he has hired McHale to build on Will's performance at Northwestern and create a new, improved version of ACN News. Breaking news about a potentially disastrous oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico hits. McHale's choice for her number two, Jim Harper, played by John Gallagher Jr., ascertains that the oil leak, which would be the deep horizon oil spill is not able to be capped and will flood the gulf of mexico he lobbies that be the focus of any reporting rather than the search for survivors since the environmental disaster is larger and a more important story newsnight does an hour show on the event interviewing sources that no other network had on air mckenzie tells jim that he should romance maggie jordan played by allison pill even though or possibly because maggie is going out with departing Newsnight producer Don Kiefer, played by Thomas Sadowski. Mackenzie promotes Maggie from Will's assistant to associate producer. Let me just ask each of you before we get any further, though. Um, Baba, did you see this when it first aired on HBO? Did you catch it later on, like, an HBO Go? How did, how did you consume uh, this first season of Newsroom, or at very least the first episode? Yeah, no, I taped it i set the dvr for it i was excited just so everybody knows uh spoiler alert i this is kind of in my wheelhouse slightly tied to my profession and so i couldn't wait for this to happen i will admit that i hope nobody else felt this way i hope listeners didn't feel this way and i hope they hate don't hate this podcast because i'm being honest but i really did not like this pilot 
But just so everybody knows, I watched every episode of the newsroom when it first, the day it first aired. Uh, some might say it quickly became a hate watch, but I'll get into some of the reasons why it didn't work for me as a show. But uh, yeah, I'm very familiar with this, very familiar with all the characters, and can't wait to hear hopefully some positive takes on it. Well, uh, with that, uh, John, I think probably you and I, just coming off the heels of Game of Thrones, were looking for something new to watch, and we were both familiar with Sorkin stuff, so that's probably why we watched it, or at least I watched it on its first run in that manner. Like Bubba, I typically had to tape it, or I had to catch the later rerun, just because I'm a musician and I'm not always around uh, on a Sunday night. But how did you consume the first season of West Wing, or at very least the pilot episode? Well, I was a couch potato, so the minute it aired, I was watching it. It was definitely an appointment television uh, for myself because I, I, I love Sorkin and couldn't wait to, I guess, uh, fill the need for a 9 o'clock Sunday type show. So it was perfect timing. Um, I don't work in the news industry, so I probably enjoyed it a lot more than Bubba. <laughs> yeah, I, and I have nothing. The only time I'm ever in the news is because I've done something illegal and I don't like that much. So I have no experience with the news other than that. Uh, but uh, that was supposed to be funny, folks. And like that may have landed like uh, like Will's uh, I have a blog joke. But here are some funny moments from the episode that are either personal or sometimes political or professional um they're humorous quotes from this week's episode and instead of calling it whatever we call it during the west wing uh podcast we're now going to call it the rundown in uh kind of the fashion of being a newsroom welcome back thank you charlie skinner needs to see you in his office no he said as soon as you come in what's you're ellen maggie margaret what's going on we know as little, little as you do really Almost as little as you do. What's the part that you know that I don't? You should talk to Charlie Skinner. Where's Karen? There's no one who works here named Karen. My assistant. I'm your assistant. You're Ellen. Margaret. Okay. Uh, I'll let his secretary know you're on your way. Her name is Karen. No one's named Karen. No one. All right. I'll call up for you. I was in a bar in Da Nang. Just now? 1969. I was embedded with 144th Artillery for UPI, and I was sitting there with a warm Coke watching a beautiful Vietnamese woman doing an exotic dance right in the middle of everybody. A beautiful, beautiful woman. And I thought to myself, I will never know what it is to be with a woman like that. And at that exact moment, the woman spun twice, teetered over, and fell right into my lap. That was a story about how sometimes things fall right into your lap. I get that there are moments, small moments, infrequent moments where I'm not the easiest guy to work with, but who the hell is? I am. Well, it helps that you're drunk most of the time. It certainly does. Do me a favor. This is more than unprofessional. It's uncivilized. More than that, it's unprofessional. Just do me a favor, okay? Sure. Try not to make a scene. Yeah. Hey, Dickless! Student, I thought it would be a good idea to show deference to a three-star well, You took it gym. out on me. You did it in front of the staff. Then you took it out on the staff the way you're doing right the now. The staff isn't here! You're taking the department heads. Who the hell knows who they're taking? Maggie's standing right there. Her name happens to be Ellen! It's Margaret. If you'd read any of my emails or answered my calls, you'd know that I take responsibility for everything. I already didn't know that, and I already didn't care. That I'm sorry. Are you? Yes. I can't say I... I just, you, you have no idea how I've longed to hear those words. I, I forgive you. Can you 
Forgive You're me. You're being sarcastic. Oh, how you know me. Now, I'd like you to listen to these words, which were written 500 years ago by Don Miguel de Cervantes. Hear me now, O thou bleak and unbearable world, thou art base and debauched as can be. But a knight, with his banners all bravely unfurled, now hurls down his gauntlet to thee. That was Don Quixote. Those words were written 45 years ago by the lyricist for Man of La Mancha. Didn't think you'd know that, but the point's still the same. It's time for Don Quixote. You think I'm him? No, I think I'm him. You're his horse. You rode a donkey. Well, I can't help you there. Uh, he's the one with the... He's the Are you one trying to say the, the Indian stereotype on my tea guy? Yes. Punjab! I don't think that's his name. Why not? Punjab's a character from Little Orphan Annie. Tell him about the pressure. Guys. Great job tonight. These things are done by teams, and I've got the best team in television. I'm going to make sure each and every one of you knows how important you are to me. This isn't our control room. No. So did most of those uh, fall dead on you, Bubba, as well? I want to give it up that very last one. I did think that was a good beat. That was a good joke. It was true to the character of Will being oblivious, but... Maybe, you know, I, I'm going to go through several of the show's points that rang untrue to me that I wasn't able to buy in on. And the screwball comedy pace that Sorkin has done well, pushing up against what he's trying to do, the utter realism, and in fact, real-life events like Deepwater Horizon, I, I, I felt whiplash between the two tones. And so those jokes personally didn't work for me. Gotcha. John, would you have cho- would you have chosen some different ones? Were there other funny moments that uh, came to mind for you? No, I think he nailed it. Uh, I mean, they all nailed it for me. But again, I don't have the perspective Bubba has. But I did find it funny he was in the wrong control room. <laughs> uh, I, I found a lot of the episode funny, and Bubba, I can empathize uh, with your point about uh, the whole thing about trying to relay in these these real world events. Um, into the fold of the newsroom to give it some kind of sensibility, especially when, um, like I have said many times before, and I think I've discussed with each of you, I feel sometimes like Sorkin's characters are more like caricatures than they are actual characters. I just felt like the tone was constantly fighting itself in that the rat-a-tat-tat kind of quippy dialogue, I just naturally assume with those screwball comedies like you would see with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart, like the Philadelphia story, that kind of rat, 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 rat rat-a-tat. But the one thing those movies are, and I think they're very great, and obviously those charismatic cinema legends can knock that out of the park. But they also aren't trying to go with kind of gritty, realistic realism, too. And so the tone whipping between the two, I I just, I wasn't used to it. Specifically, and this isn't necessarily so straight up uh, comedy piece, but remember when Jim walks in and he does what is a true screwball comedy, trip over somebody's purse or something. Mm -hmm. And yet everything else happening then is like, okay, this is really, quote unquote, in a real newsroom and we're trying to give you a sense of what it's like there. And so for me, I just couldn't get those two, what I considered uh, different, you know, tones that I feel are so different. It didn't gel for me. It didn't work in. I apologize. I didn't buy in. Once again, I hope the listeners did, but uh, I'm just saying that even if I didn't know so much about newsrooms, 
or, you know, dare I say it when I heard so much about comedy rooms for uh, Studio 60 on Sunset Strip, uh, some of these tones, ha- I-, I just had trouble with. Understood. Understood. And uh, this particular brand of show reminds me a lot more of Sorkin's work before the West Wing on Sports Night. Yeah. Um, not nearly so quite a screwball even in Sports Night, I don't think, although some of it was geared that way. Um, but you were in you were in a, a, a professional office where just stupid things happened all the time. Um, so I got that very much that sense. And maybe because I uh, enjoyed Sports Night because I'd kind of got myself accustomed to that. Um, the, the desperate, uh, disparity, I guess I should say between, um, the two tones didn't bother me quite as badly. Um, now, as you mentioned, the, the news events, at least as far as season one goes, were actual news events that happened in the year or, or so prior to the show being aired. Um, this episode is the focus of the BP oil spill, which happened on April 20th, um, 2010, um, Jesse Eisenberg, as another piece of trivia, uh, had just done, uh, I guess, had just finished The Social Network uh, shortly before with Sorkin. And he plays the young rig ex- inspector on the phone during the newscast. Um, and, and that's just a, a typical Sorkin kind of trivial trait that many actors seemingly get paired up with Sorkin through various projects. I don't know if that's because of his influence or if they just like working with his dialogue. And so if they see Sorkin's name on it, then they say, yes, um, that could be part of it as well. Um, but, uh, Bubba, you and I reviewed, uh, the social network, uh, where Jesse played, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and we really liked him in that. Um, yeah, yeah, I, and one of the things that this really made me think about was how much I just love the Mo- Sorkins, the Social Network. I love that movie. I, I uh, you know, I almost want to call it flawless in, from my perspective. And I was wondering, and uh, sorry to kind of tie them so closely together. The one thing about that movie is that the lead character, Mark Zuckerberg, not you know, not the real person, but the character in the movie, is kind of a jerk. He's kind of a jackass an awful lot. And where I, I felt, for me, I was able to roll with that. I understood him, and uh, I understood that, hey, I wasn't supposed to like him. And in this show, I feel, sadly, Will McAvoy a lot of times is that same jackass, but somehow we're supposed to li- like him and clap at the end when he does well, kind of forgetting how he has some of <laughs> some of uh, Zuckerberger's uh, kind of toughness, I would say. So uh, once again, as I was talking about whiplash of tone between kind of realism and uh, kind of screwball, uh, rat-a-tat-tat uh, comedy, the, the whiplash between, okay, here is a character, Will McAvoy, who throughout this, and, and maybe you're supposed to appreciate his character more humorously than I did, but through, for, throughout this, I found him really just kind of a jackass really wrong. And so yet at the flip side, you listen to the theme music, which is nothing but uplifting, uplifting, look at this. And then at the end where he gets this uh, incredible applause because he did do so well in the broadcast, I, I just had trouble. Between the two characters, the one in the social network, I appreciated, even though I thought he was a jackass a lot of the times. Will did not work for me in this episode. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, some one of the main cast who didn't appear in this episode, as our final note for trivia, is uh, Olivia Munn. She does get her name and her image on the credits, but she doesn't physically appear in the episode. However, John, there is a moment uh, 
in the episode where someone is giving a business report, and I could swear that's Olivia Munn's voice. Um, I don't have any way to prove that. I, I haven't been told one way or the other by anybody or been able to research it to a point. Um, do either of you know if that was Olivia Munn's voice uh, doing the, the business report in the background at one point? Uh, she she does appear on the monitor. They actually kind of do a pan across, and you do see her face for like two seconds. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, I, I thought I saw her too. Yeah, and, and even though I was very tough on the whole series, I did watch the whole series, and I did tend to like her character. And a spoiler alert, a, a different jackass. I like Don <laughs> a lot in the show, so there you go. All right, well, very cool. Well, uh, like Will McAvoy or not, he certainly makes an impression right at the beginning. Um, and normally I don't won't do this uh, with an extra seventh clip, so to speak. But because this is probably one of the most famous scenes in the newsroom, uh, it, it, and it is its very first, uh, I thought I'd share with our listening audience Will McAvoy's rant about why America isn't great. What about the people? Why is America not the greatest, greatest country in the world, Professor? That's my answer. You're saying yes. You're... Let's talk about fine. The... Sharon, the NEA is a loser. Yeah, it accounts for a penny out of her paycheck, but he gets to hit you with it anytime he wants. It doesn't cost money. It costs votes. It costs airtime and column inches. You know why people don't like liberals? Because they lose. If liberals are so fucking smart, how come they lose so goddamn always? Hey. And with a straight face, you're going to tell students that America is so star-spangled awesome that we're the only ones in the world who have freedom? Canada has freedom. Japan has freedom. The UK, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Australia, Belgium has freedom. So 207 sovereign states in the world, like 180 of them have freedom. All right. And yeah, you, uh, sorority girl, just in case you accidentally wander into a voting booth one day, there's some things you should know. And one of them is... There is absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we're the greatest country in the world. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, 3rd in median household income, number 4 in labor force, and number 4 in exports. We lead the world in only three categories. Number of incarcerated citizens per capita, number of adults who believe angels are real, and defense spending, where we spend more than the next 26 countries combined, 25 of whom are allies. Now, none of this is the fault of a 20-year-old college student, but you nonetheless are, without a doubt, a member of the worst period, generation period ever, period. So when you ask what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? Sure used to be. We stood up for what was right. We fought for moral reasons. We passed laws, struck down laws for moral reasons. We waged wars on poverty, not poor people. We sacrificed. We cared about our neighbors. We put our money where our mouths were, and we never beat our chest. We built great big things, made ungodly technological advances, explored the universe, cured diseases, and we cultivated the world's greatest artists and the world's greatest economy. We reached for the stars. Acted like men. We aspired to intelligence. We didn't belittle it. It didn't make us feel inferior. We didn't identify ourselves by who we voted for in the last election, and we didn't... We didn't scare so easy. We were able to be all these things and do all these things because we were informed. 
by great men, men who were revered. First step in solving any problem is recognizing there is one. America is not the greatest country in the world anymore. So, John, let me turn first to you, because to, to me, this, this, is, this was a, a great way to open this show. Um, and yes, Will is obviously an asshole, but I felt like his story at the end was very inspired. Um, what kind of mode did this put you in? What was you expecting after you heard this monologue and then him saying, you know, what did I say out there? Uh, well, for me, it, it it took me right back to my college days, and it's the, all the thoughts I was thinking the entire time I'd sit and listen to people who said similar things to that girl. And it's all the preconceived notions that many people have about this country, about how great we are. But in fact, we're probably middle of the road. Bubba, did it hit you in any one particular way or not? Yeah, it it felt like a punch to the gut. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> let me say, I, I have several friends who, when I told them I was going to be appearing on the Sorkin cast and talking about this and how I, I wasn't a fan of the show, they mentioned this monologue that you just played about how they loved it and, oh, it was so great. And let me just say, kind of, I want to get kind of, if it's okay, to get back in the mindset of this. So we begin the episode, and Will is in the middle of these two people just fighting, just kind of being really rude, kind of insulting each other, fighting these points back and forth and will it comes across will is like having you know trouble he's being disturbed he's almost having a breakdown he's seeing this woman in the audience and so theoretically I, you start watching it and at least for me i think well maybe will is going to turn into howard beale the character from the great 70s movie network and he's suddenly going to just start screaming i'm mad as hell or i'm not going to take anymore or the flip side, Will is going to see these people arguing, being rude, all these things. And suddenly Will's going to stand up and say, you know what? Somebody has to lead us back to you know, to being nice and civil to each other. Somebody has to lead us kind of out of this kind of constant barking and insulting and kind of cable news uh, put-downs. The crossfire generation, if you will. You know, stop that. But instead, Will says things, many of things, probably everything Will says – Generally, I agree with, except his he's attacking this poor girl and even the things he says in the first half that I agree with, he's he's saying them really terrible. You know, he's saying them like an attack, like, hey, listen, we're this and this, we're this and this. Like, once again, he's using the words to kind of bludgeon her and to disagree with her point. So it feels like, to me, Will had this breakdown and just joined the two of people who were surrounding him fighting. Then later in the episode, so we're like, okay, this is the story of a guy who just had enough and he just broke and now he's in a-hole. But then later in the episode, we find out uh, from his confrontation with Don, Will's always been in a-hole. He's kind of always been rude and terrible. And so the idea is that, okay, this is a story of a main character who's kind of always been terrible, but now he's reached a point where he's going to speak the truth. But then you find out later, oh, no, Will used to actually, when he worked with Mackenzie in the old days, Will used to be a, a really good guy, used to be nice. So then Mackenzie shows up, and he's still not exactly ever nice. And so I'm kind of lost as to what I'm supposed to be <laughs> celebrating. You know, when you heard that powerful, you know, the swelling of the strings, and you know music scores so well, Matt, but it's trying to tell us about how the things he's saying 
you know, they are true about how, how we, we did do some good things in the past that we should be proud of. But his just general rude demeanor for the first half of that speech, uh, even though, like I said, I pretty much agreed with everything. But, you know, his attack calling her a sorority girl, I, it just did not work for me. Fair enough. Fair enough, Bubba. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, uh, to me, it was one of the most. Uh, I, I, I'll say this too, right up front, is that really, and I know that he's worked in a lot of things, um, but Jeff Daniels uh, is not an actor who I've followed a great deal, uh, and so I most associated him uh, with, uh, you know, the Dumb and Dumber series, right? And because of that, I was shocked uh, by the performance uh, from an actor that I didn't really expect. I don't know why I didn't expect it. Uh, Jim Carrey, obviously, uh, can act seriously just as well as he can be comedic. Um, But for some reason, I just wasn't expecting it from Jeff Daniels, and that really took me off guard. There's a couple of things that we might be able to think about as we go through the rest of this story. I don't really want to talk about them too deep right now, but... um, there's there's been things about the the fact that I've made anyway that I, I want to keep people to keep in mind as we go along and that is um that to me newsroom uh is a very caricature styled show for me and I know people don't like it when I use that term but I really do feel like that that's kind of what Sorkin characters are um now I don't know about uh, just as a and maybe Bubba, you can help me out on this right here. I don't know about how the procedures of a newsroom, you know, what their standing operating procedures are and how realistic this show portrays that. Um, And I question the use of the real life events um, in order to motivate characters or to be character, end up becoming character motivations throughout the whole course of this series. Um, But those are things that I always keep in mind as I'm watching every episode. Um, Baba, can you clarify for us, uh, and and maybe not just in terms of this particular episode, but uh, any of the other episodes that you've seen, um, do things get stretched? Do things seem um, fairly tailored to just be able to tell a story as opposed to what actually happens in a newsroom? Well, Matt, uh, I want to preface it by saying that I've heard uh, all the time from lawyers who, when they watch it, TV show about lawyers. They'd be like, oh, that would never happen. You know, why is everything suddenly happening in an hour? There's no way this case would move that quickly and that sort of stuff. Or cops when they'd say, oh, that isn't how it happened. And my general trouble with the newsroom wasn't so much that it it fudged some of these things for what I would say drama's sake. But I'm going to be completely honest. It did drive me batty as much as possible. And I actually want to be specific on some of these. And and why it drove me so batty is that the newsroom does get so many things correct. It is like, oh, everything they're saying, oh, that is right. That is so smart. So right in the middle of the episode here, this pilot episode, we see them arguing over, well, AP is reporting this story coming in. It's coming in on the wires. And we have my my favorite character in the whole show acting so untrue to the news profession, it drives me crazy. So AP News Alerts, uh, the wires come in and they're normally white. But if you use this program, Avid iNews, which is what they're using on the show, they're being very accurate. That's the exact software. I'm actually looking at a copy of the software right now. The alerts come in yellow for a general alert and then orange for like, okay, this is, you know, everything. This is the giant alert. This is the biggest news. And then Don, 
this senior producer is suddenly like, oh, that's only yellow. That's not orange, which is so untrue. So therefore, Don, this quote unquote senior producer is suddenly saying, you know what? I'm not going to I'm not going to make any editorial decision myself as lead producer of what we cover. I'm going to let AP do this. And if they make it orange, then I'll cover it. If not, I wouldn't. And it, it was so ridiculously wrong. And so they, they stretch things, but it's crazy. They stretch things, and then in the moment, they can be completely realistic in real life. And several of the discussions they have in this episode are so true, are so incredibly true. Later in the episode where they're arguing about can we go live with this, you know, there, there's this very short scene when they're all in Will's office, and they're arguing about, hey, should we, you know, should we go full with this deep water horizon. And this argument could and should be, you know, you could make an entire episode about this argument of, well, we have these sources who claim this, but is that well enough to put ACN's net, you know, entire reputation on the line? Is that strong enough to go, you know, the battle between Jim and Don and Will and all? And what's funny is not only could you make an entire episode about it, this wonderful movie, The Insider, which stars Russell Crowe and Al Pacino, it actually had this debate about, okay, and it was a great movie about, okay, we have these sources. Is that enough to go on? Is that legally enough to go on and say the things like, for example, it's spilling into the Gulf at this amount? And this show just kind of burns past that because maybe it doesn't want to tell that drama. And it's crazy. So that, that moment where they're debating, should we go on? Do we have enough? You know, Don's correctly to be to be completely honest saying you know if we screw this up we're going to get you know they're going to own the network and we're going to be sued like that's like big stakes and very realistic and then other times the magical suddenly jim suddenly jim his suddenly his older sister just happens to work exactly for who she needs to work with his college buddy you know is there and in it's like a cop drama where suddenly everything happens in an hour. The idea that this, that somehow he would confirm this in what feels like in the show three minutes was just so preposterous. Uh, it was a forehead slapper for me. All this is to say that the show gets something so right. It stretches something so wrong and so preposterously that if you do work in any sort of uh, media organization, you're going to get whiplash from, oh, hey, they're getting this totally right to, wait, what? Why is this happening? That's okay. silly. Okay. Uh, sorry if I rambled on there a bit, but uh, I did feel uh, kind of moments of, of of real kind of Sorkin. So much feels real that when these moments weren't real, it just drove me batty. Sorry. Yeah, understood. Understood. Uh, John, did you have have you said you don't have any experience with with the uh, with the media in in a I guess a professional sense, but. Um, did anything strike you as off or as uh, about the characters or uh, about the way that uh, the events motivate them sometimes or even about the process of gathering the news? Well, I guess I guess I'd be uh, slightly uh, misrepresenting if I, I mean, I've written several or I'd say dozens and dozens of press releases myself. So okay. I guess I guess from that angle. I probably annoy people like Bubba by sending him stuff they don't want to read about. <laughs> but <laughs> but other than that, yeah, no, I can totally understand exactly what Bubba's talking about because, I mean, it, and I think they even kindly mildly address it where, when have you ever been this lucky? And he says, never. 
<laughs> right, right. And, and so that's the line trying to get it back towards realism where I'm like, okay, okay. But yeah, no, but yeah, exactly. There's just, it's one of those things that ah, it's, it's like, how far can you push the limit to make it believable in it? And again, this is, I think a caricature is probably the best, but I think this is almost like a romantic view of what would the most, Right. What would you want the yeah. news to be like? And that's kind of what Sorkin does. It's like the West Wing. There's probably never, ever going to be a president like on the West Wing. Right. <laughs> and I guess the only real part of it is, is probably Jeff Daniels character. Because I can imagine those guys being complete a-holes. <laughs> yeah, being complete a-holes, but still being very competent at his job. And that's oh, why yeah. it reminded me of the lead character from The Social Network, Will McAvoy. You know, once the lights came on, he did that whole show without a teleprompter. And that's the way those people have to be to reach that uh, station in in life. And so, and so, yeah, he's really good at his job. But then once the lights are off, he... he <laughs> No social skills there, Will. None. <laughs> well, and I, I think that as the series goes along, a lot of that is explained uh, in many, many ways. But uh, let's talk about this particular story. Uh, I've got several clips here, folks, but I have to admit that because of uh, time restraints and the fact that we're, especially on this particular podcast, where we're talking a lot about a lot of things since it's the first look at this series for the podcast, uh, these clips are going to be cutting a lot of stuff out. I mostly clip when I, as we go throughout the season, I'll mostly try and clip the news reports themselves or the presentation of a whole lot of information about it, because I am trying to focus on the characters of the show and understand, uh, how they interact together and work, because that way I don't get distracted by what the news is, you know, how the news is gathered in that. Uh, but at any rate, these clips will be a little shorter, um, uh, then, uh, of course the percentage of the show that we got when we were taking clips from the West wing, that being said, let's move on to clip one where after Will comes unglued, he returns to work to find his staff leaving him and his boss has fired someone from his past Mackenzie McHale to be his new executive producer. Once Mackenzie finds out of Will's disapproval of the situation, she argues her case for her and her staff, including Jim Harper, who gets a lead on a story about an oil rig explosion in the Gulf. And she's been to way too many funerals for a girl her age. She wants to come home. Yeah, look, I don't they blame don't her. have a job for her in Atlanta, D.C. or New York. Mackenzie, line up any ten people, eight of them will tell you she's the best EP in the business, and the other two will be stupid. I'm one of the eight, but it's not going to happen. It's happened. No. She's coming up from D.C. today with one of her people. No, listen to what I'm telling you. I can't give my approval. The deal's a day away from being signed. Three years. I have approval over my executive producer. You would think so, wouldn't you? I would, yeah. Business affairs went through your whole deal. I don't have contractual approval. No, but you know what? I don't have contractual approval. You're up for renegotiation in 18 months. I'd have your agent put that clause no, in your I'm walking time. down the street to William Morris. I'm going to renegotiate my contract It's right not going to go your way. I generate an annual profit of $210 million on my own. That's not counting the lead-in freight I pushed to 9 and 10. That may be tipping money for this company, but it's not nothing. Well, what? When was the last time you saw her? I don't know, about three years ago. Coincidentally, that's the last time you were a nice guy. Oh, my God, I'm sorry. You're Mackenzie. I am, and you are? I'm Matt. Hey, Don. <laughs> uh, Mackenzie gave me my first summer internship Don't tell me you're here to interview for my job No, I'm here to do your job Are you serious? Yeah I don't understand I don't understand 
When were you hired? It's Will in his office. He's not, but his agent's office is just down the street, and he should be back any minute. He's at his agent's office. Yeah. I'm sorry, I gave too much information. Yep. Now I understand. What's your name? Maggie. Maggie. Let me try to guess at something, and you tell me how close I am to being right. This whole move was done behind Will's back, and he just found out now, and he stormed off to his agent's office to see why he doesn't have approval. Mm-hmm. Okay. I asked my agent to negotiate a three-year contract. You know me. I think that's the longest contract I've it's ever... It's not a three-year contract anymore. I'm sorry? It's not a three-year contract anymore. It's a 156-week contract that gives me the opportunity to fire you 155 times at the end of each week. We'll wait a few months to make sure it's not a story Bill Carter can shove up my ass. We'll do it then. How did you get my contract changed? I gave the network back some money off my salary. How much money? A million dollars a year. You get back a million dollars a year? Yeah. You paid a million dollars to be able to fire me anytime you want. Three million dollars. Not anytime I want. Just the end of each week. How the hell much money do you get paid? Hey, do this to me. Do this to me all you want, but you can't do it to them. Who? People followed me here. Jim Harper, my senior producer, bookers, H&A producer, desk editors, field that producers. That can't possibly be my problem. Well, come on now. What do you want from me, Mackenzie? They're in the process of moving. They've put down security deposits. They've found roommates. They're looking at preschools. Yeah, they They've fucked up, Mac. They trusted you. Pardon me, Don. You've got a news alert. It's yellow. an explosion off the coast of Louisiana. There's going to be an explosion in the middle of the water. An oil rig. Well explosion in the Gulf of Mexico. All right, Tess, get on the assignment desk and see if this goes anywhere. Okay. Flames reach 150 feet in the air. Okay, guys, so before we uh, turn it over to you guys to talk about this particular clip, um, I just wanted to say that I did drop the whole storyline uh, of out of the clips for this particular episode, but I did want to address it briefly, and that's a bit about Don and Maggie dating each other. This whole I don't want to meet the parents thing comes up, and, and Mackenzie is now trying to seemingly throw a wrench in it by using Jim. Um and I, I don't know, I, fraternization happens, I guess, at, at, at workplaces. Um, I wonder sometimes if people that are in this kind of industry tend to flock to each other more so than others. I don't know. Um, secondly, uh, I'm very thick, but it becomes apparent at the end of the episode why Mac didn't think she liked Don and Maggie. And that was because she didn't want or uh, he didn't want to meet her parents yet. Uh, because you get the whole meeting the parents thing at the end between her and Will. But the question I want to ask you, John, is, is there too much inter-squad romance going on in in this series as a whole, and especially in this first episode? Well, Matt, I know the name of the show is Newsroom, and unless you plan on showing a lot of stuff outside of the newsroom, you're going to need some sort of uh, fraternization on the show. <laughs> 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 very true very true <laughs> but, but no i i mean i don't know i've worked plenty of different places and i've 
made that mistake more than a few times and i finally learned my last lesson i'll never do it again ah. <laughs> so yes it happens everywhere you work i think bubba is the cameraman dating your sound girl Listen, these people have odd hours. Are you listening what time they go to the dinner? This is an 8 p.m. show that ends at 9 p.m. They're going to dinner after work. So, you know, you're probably getting dinner around 9.30. Of course, people are going to end up together because they're the only ones on this crazy schedule. For me, Don is an interesting character. And spoiler alert, he's probably my favorite character over the lifespan of the show, even though he is in his own way a true not, – not in his own way. In every way, he is at times a big a-hole himself. But the, the – I'm not meeting your parents. It is so set up to make Don the bad guy, to make it so that she should dump this guy. And then Mackenzie, once again, it feels like she's been in the office all of two minutes, and suddenly she's saying, hey, Jim, why don't you date this girl over here? Is Jim that much of a sad sack? What's going on? <laughs> we just literally walked in the door, and we, we haven't been introduced to half the people. And she's like, hey, start dating this this uh, girl over here named Maggie. Uh, that is... Once again, it's it's this kind of, uh, are we going for a 30s screwball romantic, you know, the actual uh, old school kind of uh, stories that were set in the newsroom, rat-a-tat-tat, Clark Gable, or are we going for something real like, hey, the or, you know, this oil rig just blew up. Tough for me to say. I find it a bit cloying. The Jim and Maggie kind of were immediately set up as a couple before. I believe they had even spoke by McKenzie. And so didn't work for me is all I'll say. Well, and I know how you've been going about how the disparate natures of this. But to me, it almost feels like that Charlie is kind of the marriage of both of those roles. Because he can be so preposterous on one side and yet very serious on the other side. Um, and, and, And sometimes... Uh, it's just a matter of how much alcohol he's had during the course of the day. I find I find Sam Waterston's uh, performance in in especially in this series uh, in just about everything he's done. I wasn't a big fan of Law and Order because I'm not a big fan of procedurals generally, but uh, I, I find Sam Waterston to be a superb actor, and I thought he did a really good job with this role. Um, John, let me turn to you. Any th- other thoughts about that clip? I don't. I know Bubba's not a big fan of the crazy, weird, kooky stuff, but I think it's one of those. It's their attempt at bringing levity to some of the most serious kind of news story as possible to try and make this kind of a, a little bit more of a lighthearted. It, they're trying to please a lot of different masters here, and I think that's the part that's probably screwing it up for Bubba a little bit more than probably for most. And then also, he's probably obviously a lot closer to it than we are, so I can. I can empathize with this position. It's got to be rough. If it's okay, Matt, I want to go to everybody. I hope they don't think I'm just uh, all hater all the time because I really do love the social network. And then I want to go back to, you know, you were kind enough to have me on the Sorkin cast for the pilot of the West Wing. And the West Wing was kind of the exact opposite of my reaction to this show in that the pilot felt so good. Yes, it had some kind of unrealistic things, but it had a great vibe. It was able to transition the two worlds very well. And it wasn't until the end of the episode where I believe that first episode of the West Wing sets up what I call the straw man argument. This this preacher in the West Wing who is just kind of arguing something that nobody could argue so that the present could come in and smack him down. And so... 
Don occasionally argues some correct things, but when he's doing things like, hey, I'm not going to come meet your parents, you need to lie to your parents for me, or later, when he's obviously so set up as in some ways a straw man bad guy in this of, no, I don't want to cover that story, and, and it doesn't explore except briefly in that one office scene, why you would question and would say, hey, let's hold the horses on this. Uh, it, it rubbed me a bit wrong, but just like I was able to enjoy the unlikable characters in Social Network, in this show, I was able to appreciate they were letting Don be Don. And so uh, I, I, I grew to love him the best. Gotcha. Understood. All right. Anything else on this particular clip or are we ready to move on? No, listen, we, that's the A block. We got to get to the B block. Let's keep going on the rundown. <laughs> Let's go to the B block. <laughs> All right. And as Mac and Will continue their argument, they're interrupted by Jim with the story about the oil rig. Don debates against going with the story, but Will overrides him and then sends all of the staff who will be leaving soon away. Social scientists have concluded that the country is more polarized than at any time since the Civil War. The Civil War. Yes, people choose the news they want now, but we can't. People choose the facts they want now. So what you've just described is impossible. Only if you think an overwhelming majority of Americans are preternaturally stupid. I do. I don't. And if you let me, I can prove it. You know what you left out of your sermon? That America is the only country on the planet that since its birth has said over and over and over that we can do better. It's part of our DNA. People will want the news if you give it to them with integrity. Not everybody, not even a lot of people. 5%. And 5% more of anything is what makes the difference in this country. So we can do better. (sighs) What? I'm thinking... Yeah, that whole speech did nothing for me. What? I'm sorry to interrupt. Can I talk to Mac for just a second? Your guy here's a pain in the ass. An oil well exploded in the Gulf of Mexico. The Coast Guard's searching for missing crew members. I'll fill you in at the 6 o'clock run. There's more. He doesn't need to hear this right now. Let's go outside. Oh, if Don doesn't want me to hear it, I'd like to hear it. Don't blow me. I want you to not use that language in front of women and to forever not suggest that image to me. It's on your mind. Who are you? Jim Harper, my senior producer. Senior? Is he old enough to drive at night? What happened? Two calls within five minutes of each other. The first one was from a friend of mine at BP in London saying he's sitting in meetings where they don't know how to cap the well. Jesus. The oil's still spilling? Yeah. At a pretty alarming rate. Why is this well different from other wells? The depth. Um... You've got to tell him your sources. I can't. He can't trust you unless you trust him. All right, the necessary people go into my office, close the door. I want Mac as a witness. Fine. If you're wrong about Halliburton, that's the first line of your bio forever. Isn't this the same guy who said that Halliburton caused that spill? And by the way, you publicly accuse them of negligent homicide and you're wrong? They will take you to court. They will win and they will end up owning AWM. They will have their own record label. They will have theme parks. Let's throw out the rundown. Throwing out the rundown. Gary, see if you can get me a spokesman for BP on the phone. Give me anything. Where are you going? I was told to put together a new show. Guys, can I have your attention? I'm sorry if I've been a little inaccessible or terse lately or for several years, but if I could just see a show of hands. Who's going with Don to 10 o'clock? 
All right, I appreciate all the hard work, and as a token of that appreciation, I'm giving you guys two weeks paid vacation starting right now. Hold on. You're going to have her run the show? Yeah. Don't do this one. I just offered her the most humiliating contract since Antonio got a loan from Shylock. She took it. I don't know what that is, but I like it. You're going to do a full hour on an environmental story, and you don't want to at least wait until there's film of an oil-covered pelican? It's not just an environmental story. Everywhere I look, people are dressed up in costumes, screaming about how bad government is. What's your position? That people should know what they're screaming about. Are you ready to go on television and say that this well wouldn't have blown up if there had been more government I oversight? I my next paycheck, but it doesn't turn out that some department was defunded or some industry was deregulated. He'll do it, too. I didn't buy any of that bullshit that you said in my office, but can you start two weeks early? You plainly bought it a lot, and yes. I didn't buy it at all and go. Okay, but it's obvious now that you ate it up with a soup ladle. Just go. Who's my booker? Right here. Jim's going to tell you who to line up. Everybody out who doesn't need to be here. So, uh, Bubba, I know you and I have discussed uh, a lot of this already in, in, earlier, but uh, you talked about Don's argument. That was uh, something, uh, of course, I didn't present everything. I had to cut the clips down for time. But um, Don's argument seems reasonable. Um, it also seems safe. And to me, it almost feels like that, that Sorkin, especially with this and with him uh, having McKenzie kind of do the whole bit about framing the American debate and all of that, uh, even though that sounds a little weird and like an English accent, <laughs> it, it is very patriotic. But at the same time, uh, it, it feels like that Sorkin's almost kind of laying out what his plan for this show is, and that is um, he wants to bring issues that he feels is important up for public consumption where people might not um, necessarily be expecting to get those kind of issues discussed. Um, now, whatever slant he puts on it, that's his business as an artist or whatever. That's his own personal expression. I'm not to comment about that. But do you feel like that maybe that that whole series of, of events you know, that are contained within this clip and, and obviously some parts are cut out? Um, was Sorkin telling the audience what to expect for the rest of the season? Oh, yes. This is this whole show. I believe this whole pilot is a template for season one. And to be honest, I, th I think it, it stays true to this tone, the tone that sadly I'm not a huge fan of, but a tone throughout the entire thing. I want to say once again, I did like that little scene in the office, but I guess it goes back to what j the great point John came up with earlier about how this is in some ways a fairy tale. This is the this is the dream that suddenly the people making the news, Jim and Neil, are suddenly experts on deep water underwater drilling and saying well if it happens this then that means this and that means this and and it just you know it's a fairy tale and still though will mcavoy our main character is he's not exactly nice in any of it is he <laughs> well he's still uh, mad that he have, had to give up three million dollars i guess uh, <laughs> john what do you got for us on that clip sir Oh no! And I think it's a really good point, though, that it's like you get so it's almost like an illusion or a magic trick where it's like, oh, yeah, of course, these guys know about deep water drilling for oil. Of course they do. They're in the news it's, <laughs> <laughs> where quite honestly, I mean, with a few calls that if we could have got to sit in, we could have found out how they found out. And it would have it would have basically, I think, probably made it a lot more believable. It's like, okay, these people do know what they're talking about, but they have to do their research first. They can't just go running half cocked on all these assumptions because, yeah, if you really look at it on the face of it, they're they're maneuvering and making the news based on a lot of assumptions. 
and because they're using sorry john because no, they're ahead. using a real life event we know which side should be true so if they had made up some news event to cover then it wouldn't be quite once again i keep calling don in this episode the the straw man argument the wrong argument so <laughs> every the whole audience knows what's right and so when Don's arguing it against it, it's another reason why you di- should dislike him. Oh, he won't meet Maggie's parents. Oh, he's arguing not to cover this explosion in the Gulf except from a rescue angle. And so I don't know. I, I, I wonder if people liked it. You guys tell me, did you like the fact that it used this actual news event because therefore you could kind of relate to it and you could see, oh, or did it distract you? Because once again, it, it's so realism. What I've find kind of butting up against the sometimes fantasy, you know, the dream world uh, that Sorkin wants to create. What did you guys think about Deepwater Horizon being a plot point, Matt? Well, the interesting thing for me was that, uh, you know, when you know what the outcome was and everything like that, uh, I didn't look at it so much as, uh, you know, setting Don up as a straw man argument. I just made it, I just felt like it was Sorkin's way of expressing his viewpoint and and showing how everybody should have been smart enough to pick up on that, you know. And given a- ACN is is a fictional news story that broke it before, say NBC right. or CNN yeah. or whoever. Um, but I think what Sorkin wants you to see is that, especially as far as as Will goes, is that his instincts, from a character standpoint, his instincts gear towards what the news should always be as opposed to uh what we sometimes get from the news and and so for me it was much him using real life events is more of a political statement about not just about the events themselves but also why isn't anybody bringing up these points about it until far much further down the line okay Uh, how about you john no i think that's a great point i i think yeah it I hadn't even really thought about it, but that, yeah, this is, this is a romanticized telling of how news should be from Aaron Sorkin's point of view. And, and I almost think Mackenzie is probably Sorkin's voice throughout the whole thing. At least the, and I mean, and you also get to see the a-hole guy who's clearly been uh, terse for uh, several years now. I think he says (laughs) you get, you get to see him get kind of brought down knocked down a little bit by obviously somebody he knows probably. And I think Mackenzie's playing his role, his consciousness almost, but you get to see him start to redeem and go down the path of redemption, at least in the public's eye or what he thinks he probably should be. And I, and I think at the end you, you want to applaud, but I always never felt like he deserved my applause yet. He hadn't quite earned it back yet. Gotcha. Very good. Uh, Let me say, John, I love your pulling out the word terse instead of me constantly calling him an a-hole or a jackass. <laughs> so I'm going to go to a thesaurus right now and see what other words I could put in for terse. And so uh, I'll clean up my act for the rest of this podcast. Thank you. Oh, no. We're all good here. I mean, we've we've already heard the four-letter word so many times in, in just the clips alone. It doesn't really matter what you say about the clips themselves or the characters. Um one thing that I, I do want to mention that was also cut out of these clips is, is the whole Don Quixote, Man of La Mancha thing uh, between McKenzie and Will. Um, that, 
was fabulous because to me, um, and you five folks will see as we go throughout covering uh, this season, there there is a through line of the musical or the the fabled story, which I think Bubba, you put it right uh, on the head when you said fairy tale. Um, I think that Sorkin uh, it, it was kind of at this point uh, thinking back to his days as being a a, a, a writer for for Broadway, you know, a, a theatrical writer. And uh, it feels like to me that he uses that that kind of theme, especially through this whole first season, to get in touch with that again. And the way that uh, that uh, Don Quixote story kind of ends up uh, relating all the way through to the end of season one. Um, Unfortunately, I just didn't have time to include it in the clips. Anything else on this particular one? No, that's the B block. Now we got to get to the C block. Another commercial break. And then we're back with more. All right. Well, in clip three, the team prepares for the newscast. Mackenzie sets some of the rules for Will, and then the newscast begins. Our go-to geologist, there's not a lot of breaking news in geology. Dr. James Morris at MIT and Dr. Marvin Hasbrook at Stanford. Whoever answers the phone first. Is the EPA ready to comment? We're waiting for a comment from BP. Are you able to get the White House on the phone? Yeah. Then do it. Halliburton is in it, Sean. That ship has sailed. Studio 1A, broadcast center. You're up on router three. Copy that, center. Router three. I'll throw out all the remotes from Reykjavik. It's a whole new rundown. Who's our wardrobe supervisor? We don't have one. Get one. Charcoal gray, navy blue, and black. Senior Armani Hugo Boss. It's not going to look like an elite northeastern prick. He is. Let's make that sexy again. Was it ever sexy? Ask the Kennedy brothers. Oh, Will. Don't talk to me unless you absolutely have to, all right? I absolutely have to. I thought this would be a good time to get a couple of things straight. I'm on TV in 90 seconds. I don't think this is a good time to get a couple of things straight. That's funny, because I think it's the best time to get a couple of things straight. Can people hear me in there? Not yet. Now they can. Take me off. So, I did a terrible thing, and I don't expect you to forgive me. Take me off. You've got my contract, but the thing you have to know is that between 8 and 9 o'clock, you are completely... Mine. For an hour, five times a week, I own you. In my case, it's for your own good and for the good of all. Say, I understand, so I can get these guys a sound level. I don't see it working that way. You don't? No. Okay. There you go. Show that to Will, please. Are you serious? Yeah. Will, check out your preview screen. Get it off there! Say you understand. 30 seconds. Someone's going to spill coffee on a button and then broadcast that thing. Get it I've got on. a one-week contract. I don't have a lot to lose. I'm just glad nobody's invented a way to digitally store images and upload them onto a free website where anyone can Has see someone them. someone invented a way to digitally store images? YouTube! YouTube! Well, now you're just down. a crazy guy shouting YouTube! Oh, God! Just say you understand! I understand! Good! You warmed up? You want to screw around some more? I'm good! Ten. There's no script. There's nothing on the prompter. Nothing on the prompter's where this man eats. And roll in. The missing men may be only the tip of this tragedy. ACN has learned exclusively that senior level officials inside BP are scrambling to figure out a way to cap the well, which three and a half miles below the surface of the Gulf is pouring oil into the sea at a rate of 125,000. I'm sure you'd like to see some kind of statement on the screen. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families of the missing crew members. I can help you out with that. But I'll also need a statement that says, at this hour, you don't know how to cap the well. You have about 25 minutes. Dr. Morris, this is New York. Can you hear me? Good. We'll be coming to you in about two minutes. 
You gotta ask her why there's no contingency. Why is there no contingency? Nancy, why are we drilling three miles underwater when we don't have the technology to fix the world's most predictable emergency? Young lady, get on your Twitter account. We're doing this whole broadcast on the fly. Will doesn't have a rundown. It's the EP's first show, and she's got the whole thing in her head. She's the only one who knows where we're going next. It's a feat that requires incredible trust between the anchor and the EP. Say all that. I can only use 140 characters. Figure it out. Oh, how many times have I wished that I had more than 140 characters to say uh, to promote this podcast? <laughs> um, the other thing for me, guys, is that uh, the most dramatic moment for me in, in all of that prep stuff uh, was something you can't get in an audio podcast because it's just a visual of Will getting ready to uh, get to his put his suit on and his hands are shaking. Um, here's a guy who isn't sure about what he's about to do. He, he, you know, he, he's been kind of trying to just get over the whole Northwestern thing. And now he's about to do this. He's about to probably piss a whole lot of people off. And he doesn't know if he really has any real ground to stand on, um, other than what Jim has told him. Uh, and I loved that fearful moment because it was very human, probably the most human um, other than just being terse, as John says, it's the most human that we've seen him be the whole episode. And I thought that that was really uh, amazing for me. I was like, oh, crap, he's really human after all. Um, so that was a, a big point for me. Um, how about for you, John? What did you like about this clip or dislike about this clip? How can you not love Vertigo Medicine with Will McAvoy? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Oh, oh man. It, Bubba, honestly, has anything like that ever happened in the newsrooms you've worked in? All the time. That's why you work in the newsroom. It's great. It's fun. You want to be flying without a net. That's when you're at your. That's when you're at your best. That's when you care the most. And so uh, that's what you want. Just to follow up for everybody paying attention, I did thesaurus terse. And is Will McAvoy blunt? Crude? Crusty? Curt? Direct? Discourteous? Gruff? <laughs> impetuous? Impolite? Matter of fact? Rough? Shorts, snippy, uncivil, and ungracious, he is. That sounds pretty much like Will, at least the Will we know right now. <laughs> but but he's also obviously good at his job. And like those unlikable people in the social network, they were very good at their jobs. And this is one of the things I, I talked about when I was on the West Wing pilot with you, Matt, here on the Sorkin cast. And that is one thing Sorkin can do is he's really good at showing people who are good at their jobs. And so even though all those adjectives describe Will McAvoy, when the lights turn on, when the countdown hits one and he's on the air, he is very good at what he does. Absolutely. Absolutely. What else we got on this clip? Anything, guys? Well, McKenzie is really digging into Will. And so I would wonder if everybody's watching it for the first time, the idea is that what in the world is the history between these two? You would definitely assume some sort of romantic entanglement, if only because that's the only thing that you could imagine would make people so darn upset. But then, you know, she does, she is needling him here. They needle each other. They're, they're both not over. It's not just Will who's not over and seeing her in the, seeing her in his visions in the crowd back at that beginning of the show. They both kind of take pleasure in sn sniping at each other. 
Yeah, that's true. And uh, there are just little bits just kind of layered in to entice your imagination about it as we go along. Like Will saying, you know, uh, you, you nobody can trust you, uh, meaning that he can't trust her. So evidently he feels like it's something that she did to betray his trust. And at the same time, um, her saying she's sorry and everything, but still, like you said, needling him because um, it almost seems like she's looking at a man that she doesn't know and she's trying to bring back the man that she knew, right? Yeah, that's what we're led to believe. Sure. Yeah. Very good. John, uh, what else you got, sir? No, just the more I, I kind of like thought about that scene, it comes across funny and comical a little bit, but it almost kind of makes me think it's almost maybe like a, a, a corner manager in a fight or something, and they're not listening to what they have to say, so they just kind of egg them on and poke them and prod them and stuff to get them amped up for the fight and to get them in the right mindset because the way he attacks all of the people that come on in the in the subsequent scenes, to me it feels like she wanted to make sure his head's on straight and she had to kind of knock him loose a little bit, maybe get that shaky hands kind of moment out of his head. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Mackenzie is Burgess Meredith. Pretty much. All right. Very good. Anything else, guys? These scenes, just because they're cutting back and forth between everything, and we're obviously not going to spend a, a whole hour watching the actual newscast, the pace really does pick up, and it, it it is kind of bringing energy. And let me say, these people, I enjoy them better when they're working than the, when they're at their, you know, hey, we're at our romantic entanglements. So this is the my favorite part of the episode. Excellent. All right. And with that, we'll move on to clip four, where the cast concludes the newscast with some hard-hitting revelations. And Charlie and Will talk about what just happened. We're on the phone with Eric Neal of the Minerals Management Service. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Neal. It's good to... Thank you. Can you confirm that the MMS employs 56 inspectors in the Gulf region? I believe that's correct. And the 56 of you oversee 35,591 wells? I believe that's correct. That's 635 wells for each inspector. The wells are required to be inspected once a month. Is that correct? The drilling wells, yes. Is it possible with so few inspectors and so many wells to properly inspect each platform as scheduled? Our budget's very limited. Mr. Neal, you were sent to inspect Deepwater Horizon 19 days ago, April 1st. Is that right? I was, yes. Were you aware that dating back to September 2001, Deepwater Horizon had shown five red flags or incidents of noncompliance? Um, I'm not sure I'm authorized to speak about that. I understand. I only have two more questions. Prior to your inspection of the rig on April 1st, how many inspections had you done of offshore oil drilling rigs? Thank you very much. That was Eric Neal with the Minerals Management Service. We have the statement. We now have a statement from BP. We'll put it up on the screen for you. The thoughts and prayers, <laughs> the thoughts and prayers of Tony Hayward and everyone at BP are with the missing crew members of the BP Deepwater Horizon and their families. We are looking at every possible solution to the problem of capping the well and will, of course, offer our complete assistance to the various U.S. agencies involved in repairing and cleaning up the damage done by this terrible accident. So, glass half full, they're offering to help clean up. This is obviously just beginning. We'll be bringing you more as the story develops. Terry Smith is coming up right now with the Capitol Report from Washington. I'm Will McAvoy. Good night. 
Hey, the news alerts it red. We got it right. We got the spill right. We don't know what we're doing with Halliburton. We don't know what's going to happen. God, you're a pussy. You know, I'm just... And be- it's not like you said the sorority girl is responsible for setting the hemisphere on fire. I'll give the internet an hour. That's exactly what it'll say we said. I'm too old to be governed by fear of dumb people. I'm not. You're older than you think. You didn't bring her in to right the ship. You brought her in to build a new one. You knew Don would go with Elliot. You orchestrated the whole thing. Yeah. For a long time now, I badly wanted to watch the news on my TV at night. Then it occurred to me, I run a news division. She's indifferent to ratings, competition, corporate concerns, and generally speaking, consequences. Good, because you just described my job. I'm Don Quixote. You can be Sancho. She'll be Dulcinea. And everyone out there is the horse. Donkey, how did you know about that conversation? I know everything. Anchors having an opinion isn't a new phenomenon. Murrow had one, and that was the end of McCarthy. Cronkite had one, and that was the end of Vietnam. I'm not those guys. I'm betting all my money on your wrong. You know what, kiddo? In the old days of about ten minutes ago, we did the news well. You know how? We just decided to. Well, I fucking loved what you said at Northwestern. And that's why I brought her here. Tinkly piano music aside, um, I I really kind of loved uh, Charlie's speech there at the end. I thought that that was fantastic. Um, It's that kind of Sorkin, here's the moral of the story kind of moment in a way. Um, but it, it still, uh, was a, a, a great kind of moral compass, uh, for where Sorkin says Will is and where we as an audience, uh, he says that we as an audience should want Will to eventually be. Um, and, uh, I didn't recognize Jesse Eisenberg's voice. Uh, I was in the next day on the internet or whatever, where I saw multiple articles that it was him or whatever. And it finally got put in the IMDB. I would have never recognized his voice. I don't know if either of you guys would, but that's all I have on that clip. John, let's go to you. Any thoughts? I had no idea that was Jesse Eisenberg until tonight. So it was all revelation to me. Right on. (laughs) But, but yeah, no, I, I just, I, the Sam Watterson, you know, moral of the story. I mean, that's a Sorkin kind of a trope, I guess you would say at this point, but it's, yeah, no, I don't know. It's, it's a good way to end or close out an episode. Uh, at least it, rem- it probably harkens back to days when I was growing up when things, that's how all the stories ended. So that's probably the reason why I like it. I didn't grow up then. I hated it. (laughs) The social network didn't need to tell me, and that's the moral of the story. Rosebud is the sled. You know, we figure it out. We get it. Spoiler alert for a movie I won't say because that would tell what it was. But, I mean, come on. Let me see. Sam Waterston is obviously incredibly likable. You like Sam Waterston. He is... He just exudes it, as does, I think, Emily Mortimer playing Mackenzie. These are people you like. Jeff Daniels, I've loved him in a million things, even if he's playing a terrorist character. And so uh, I didn't need it. 
you know, when you have, I, I didn't need the, hey, the mission statement, if you will, because that's what it really feels like, right? It feels like this is the mission statement of the show, of the show, the newsroom, not the show, uh, you know, McAvoy Tonight, or what? what's the name of the actual program again? Newsnight. News night, yeah. Sorry, it feels like that is. Hey, and that's what this show is going to be, as opposed to that's what news night's going to be. I don't know. I, it, it just once again, I I didn't buy into it, and so I I don't want our listeners here on the Sorkin cast to be so frustrated with me not buying into it. So, just telling you. All right, very good. Anything else on that clip, guys? Or are we ready to move on to the very last one? Yeah, let's move on to the very last because this still kind of blows me away a lot of times. All right. Well, in clip five, Will finally remembers Maggie's name, and Mac and Will discuss their relationship. Will admits why he made the speech at Northwestern, and Mackenzie tries to tell him that she was, in fact, there, but then chooses not to when Will slips away in the elevator. Your name is Margaret Jordan. Yes, it is. That was a good show, Will. Mackenzie, I was wrong. You were right. What'd everybody else run? What'd they run, Don? Flights resumed in Europe in the iPhone prototype that was left at a bar. They all closed with the oil rig, though. Spill? Search and rescue. You won't remember this, but the first time you met my parents, you had flowers for my mother. You took my father to an Orioles game, and then you met us for dinner. And I wanted to tell you That you were perfect. Like I said, you wouldn't remember, but I wanted to thank you. The Orioles won four to three on a walk-off double from Miguel Tejada with runners in first and third. Your father ordered a beer and I ordered a Diet Coke. And he said, McAvoy, you're a Republican nitwit and every word you've ever said or written about China is incomprehensible bollocks. (laughs) But for reasons passing understanding, my Mackenzie seems to be in love with you. So you can have a pint on a hot summer's day without earning my disapproval. We ended up having three. You two idiots were drunk when you met us for dinner? Yeah. (laughs) Your dad's feeling all right? Charlie says you're physically and mentally exhausted. Been exhausted since I was 30. Everybody's exhausted. Just wanted to come back and be in a newsroom. Well, this one's yours for a week. Good show tonight. You too. It wasn't vertigo medicine. I thought I saw you in the audience. That's how I got flustered. I thought I saw you, but it turned out to be someone else. No! Okay, uh, Bubba, let's go to you first. What blew you away about that? Uh, let me just say, I'd like to blow away that violin player. What's going on with these strings, Matt? 
trying to manipulate my emotion. It's not going to work, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, uh, so what blew me away is that Mackenzie just inceptioned Will. She was there. <laughs> she put the idea in his head. Oh, no. I- I'm tripping, man. Mackenzie, you incepted Will. Heck yeah. Now, wait, what? She really was there? But for some reason, she didn't talk to him? She didn't? I, Huh. Okay. So certainly we have that going forward. Will Mackenzie admit, hey, I was holding up these signs distracting you in the middle of a panel? <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> hey, hey, Will, when this sorority girl asked you this question, I scribbled real quickly. It's not on a sheet of paper and then held it up to distract you. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, the funny thing for me is, and this is the way I interpret it, and it's pardon me for trying to be so scholarly about it, but the way I see it is that uh, given that Will is so terse towards McKenzie, uh, it almost seems to me like um, that we're never, you know, except through his eyes, we're never supposed to see that other girl that he was seeing the other person because he was trying so hard to put McKenzie out of his mind. Is that what I'm supposed to interpret from that? Man, we need some weed. This is what's going on here. <laughs> what do you think, John? Are we supposed to take it? What do we? No, the, I think the only way you can take it is she was there. Oh, yeah, she, she was, was there, there. But why did he see someone else is the question I'm asking. Oh, okay. And yeah. and I, I think it's that he was trying because evidently he still has this kind of serious hurt about Mackenzie. He 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 was trying to put her out of her mind so out of his mind so much that he made himself see someone else who actually wasn't there. He even though you know, in her place. All I have to say, Matt, repression is a hell of an emotion. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. What else have we got on this? I oh it's it, this is I I really like this episode I I know I know Bubba's got his thoughts and but you know I think he's brought up a lot of great points but I I mean I just love the fact that he remembers that day so specifically that just shows he still holds a candle for her in some way in some fashion and it's like one of those things it's like you get to see just a little bit of why you could like. Will McAvoy. Not that you should, but you could. Yeah, I get that. And and uh, as far as McKinsey's side of it goes, um, you know, this end scene points back to why, she, you know, she didn't like Don in the first place, kind of, you know, or she was trying to get Maggie and Don apart from each other, uh, which we didn't cover in the clips, but it was in the episode. Um, it was right after McKinsey said, or uh, right after Maggie had said, you know, uh, he doesn't want to meet my parents. And uh, that was that the whole tie in from from all of that came together just this time. I got to admit, I was a sap. I didn't catch it the first time I ever watched it. Um, I just caught that this time that that was a thematic tie in. Forgive me, Bubba. I'm not that smart. You know what? I don't care. She is a manipulative woman coming to her ex's speech at a college and distracting him by putting up cue cards. What the heck? Don't you think that that might also imply that Charlie was setting all of this into motion? I mean, it's two weeks before Northwestern is two weeks before he comes back, two or three weeks before he comes back. Don't you think that uh, she came home and Charlie called her and told her he wanted to get her the job and he started moving toward getting Elliot towards 
uh, 10 o'clock and he got, he started to get all of this emotion. To me, that's what it points to is that Charlie was already manipulating things before Northwestern even happened. So it's a conspiracy thriller, the newsroom. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie is uh, the master, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> Will is just a puppet. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just her. He did. Well, Charlie is Don Quixote, obviously. So. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> uh, guys, what are we going to rate this episode on, on a scale of one to ten? Keep in mind that I, when I rate it, will use my special ten point Sorkin scale. Um, you two are not held to that standard uh, because it's kind of a silly scale, but it's how I rank things on this podcast. Um, Let's start with the positives. What I think will be the positives first, since you said you loved it, John. What what would you rate it on a ten scale, and why? Oh man, I want to give it like a, a nine and a half, but we got to give some room for growth. So I'll give it an eight point nine nine. Very good, very good. Uh, Bubba, the floor is yours, man. Why is this a two? Because it needs a lot of room for growth. <laughs> it needs to grow a lot for the love of me. Uh, now, I'm not sure I'd go with two here. I'm saying that I, you know, I mentioned some of the actors I enjoyed in it. I've met Allison Bill. I really think she's settled with a kind of not the greatest character in Maggie, the, ooh, I'm the newbie, and I'll, whoops, I shouldn't have said that, zoinks. But. Anywho, I did watch the entire episode. It probably after this first episode wasn't true hate watching until later. So I'm going to give it, how about this? I'll go four out of ten. There are moments of the show, let me put it, maybe this is my real problem. There are moments of the show that I wanted, the kind of show I like in this. That wasn't the show we happened to make. Once again, I, listeners, I hope everybody gives us big ratings and isn't tough on it like me. But just in case you're ever going to your friends, well, why didn't that become a bigger hit? There were people who had uh, kind of reactions like I did. So, 4 out of 10. 4 out of 10. And I myself am going higher than both of you, which I find surprising, but um, this episode, you know, really got me into the mode of what the show was going to be. I was okay with that because I really know nothing about the process of the newsroom, so whether something was realistic or not, um, didn't bother me or, or, or not. Um, the, the idea of, of trying to find uh, a character's growth, um, I felt like that Sorkin put them all in places where um, they had room to grow, like Maggie, like Jim, like uh, the relationship between Will and Mackenzie. Um, the only the p only person who really doesn't grow throughout uh, that I feel like is at a ceiling that it's hard to see him uh, growing anymore would be Charlie. Um, and even he has uh, has his moments as we go through the series. I won't say anything more than that. So I am actually going nine point two by my scale. Now, I won't say that other episodes will be higher um, I will say that um, there are some episodes as good uh, to me as we go along. Yeah, 9.2, Matt? Yeah, 9.2. All, right. All right, we're floating this section. Everybody move to the next story. <laughs> Skip ahead. <laughs> scroll prompter, scroll prompter there. Okay, next, next section. Everybody. Skip ahead. We're skipping ahead to the end, and I want to thank you guys uh, for this inaugural look into the West Wing uh, in terms of our continuing our look into Sorkin's work, 
Um, John, let me turn to you first. Um, I know that you're a big fan. I hope to have you back for some more episodes um, to talk about them if we can. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, if people want to uh, reach out to you to talk about uh, the West Wing or the newsroom or any of the other works of Sorkin, how can they reach it? Well, if you care to talk about how cute as a button Emily Mortimer is, you can tweet at me at J underscore McGonagall. You just have to follow Matt's tweets and you'll see how to spell it. But yeah, no, anytime anybody wants to chat about it, you're welcome to hit me up out there. Very good. And Bubba, you're a busy guy. We're recording these in, in uh, I guess, early to, to mid-September. And uh, you've got a whole host of podcasts on your plate right now. Why don't you tell people about the Double P Podcast Network and how they can talk to you if they want to uh, rant about the newsroom? <laughs> well, number one, contact me and tell me that I'm wrong. You can find me on Twitter at Fitten Trim. That's F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M at Fitten Trim on Twitter. Yeah, Matt has been a guest on some of my podcasts before. It's the Double P Podcast Network. We cover Game of Thrones with the Joffrey Podcast. We cover the FX Zombie Apocalypse show right now, The Strain. We cover Ash versus Evil Dead on Stars. We're about to do Twin Peaks when it comes back to Showtime. And we talk a lot about a lot of stuff. You can find out about all the podcasts we do, and you can give feedback there as well. If you want to tell me I'm wrong in more than the character limit of Twitter, you can go to my Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash double P podcast. That's the word double, the single letter P, the word podcast plural, facebook.com slash double P podcast. It's all talking about shows we love, shows we enjoy, shows that sometimes make us slap our foreheads. Anyway, everybody's opinion is valid, and thank you so much, Matt. It is great to talk about this. Just so everybody knows, I'm looking at Sorkin's IMDb stuff right now. Love a few good men. Love the American president. Hate Studio 60. Not fan of the newsroom, but love the social network. Moneyball was fun, so uh, hopefully I'll be able to come back and be on an episode where I rave like I did on the social network. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Moneyball Money Ball sounds like a good one. I haven't seen that one in a while. Oh, it's good. I, I, yeah. I liked it. Yeah. Very good. We might do that. Um, and, John, of course, you're welcome back on a, on a news night or, pardon me, newsroom podcast anytime. Folks, in the meantime, next week we have Season 1, Episode 2, entitled News Night 2.0. And you can, of course, contact the podcast with any feedback that you have if you do so. By Tuesday, December 6, 2016, you will be included in our end-of-the-year feedback podcast. Also, don't forget that if you're commenting on the newsroom, you might want to include your favorite and least favorite episode of the season, favorite and least favorite scene of the season, favorite and least favorite main character, or guest star of the season. And uh, we'll include those in that feedback podcast as well for our newsroom season one awards. In the meantime... Take care. We'll see you next time. You can follow me on Twitter at F-I-T-T-E-N-T-R-I-M. Woohoo! Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314 314- Six six nine one eight four zero.
The Sorkin Cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network.